KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. San Diego County health officials reported 1,052 new COVID-19 infections and eight additional deaths on Thursday. San Diego surpassed 75,000 cases for the region on Wednesday. In total, there have been 996 deaths in San Diego County from the virus. A total of 10 new community outbreaks were confirmed Wednesday. Over the previous seven days, 76 community outbreaks were confirmed. A community outbreak is defined as three or more COVID-19 cases in a setting and among people of different households over the past 14 days. San Diego County supervisors voted on Wednesday to provide another $20 million in relief for small businesses hurt by the COVID-19 pandemic. One business that could use relief is Bivouac Cider Works in North Park. The owner is Laura Worm. She says she's following the public health order to shutter indoor business operations. That's one of the criteria for receiving funds. But she says she understands why other businesses don't feel like that's an option. It gets exhausting and, and it really gets demoralizing. So I think at this last round of shutdowns, um, shutting down indoor dining again, I, I think people are just fed up and they're really scared that this is their last hope. County supervisors say they hope the $20 million in relief will help small businesses stay afloat until the middle of next year when a vaccine might be available. Meanwhile, local hospitalizations reached a record high this week. San Diego-based staffing agency AYA Healthcare is helping U.S. hospitals get the extra nurses they need. April Hansen leads AYA's workforce solutions and clinical services. She says they're seeing the highest volume of requests since the pandemic began. They're balancing all of the normal ailments that bring people into hospitals and they have the complexity of COVID on top of that. Caring for patients that are suffering with COVID-19 right now is very time and labor intensive. She says hospitals are mostly seeking ICU nurses and requests for travel nurses are inching up again. At least one local hospital expressed concern that the high national demand for travel nurses will limit availability. It's Friday, November 27th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Imperial County was among the hardest hit in the state early on in the pandemic. Now, a surge in cases is putting the rural region to the test again. iNews source reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. 
Imperial County officials are calling it the second wave. The region's positivity rate for COVID-19 tests has doubled in the past month, but this time leaders say they're ready. They've added beds and staff at the county's two hospitals and reopened a temporary care facility. Adolph Edward heads the El Central Regional Medical Center. We are very well prepared for the second wave because of the first wave and the lessons we learned from it. Imperial County transferred hundreds of patients earlier this year, including to neighboring San Diego County, but officials say the additional capacity should prevent that from happening again. That was iNews Source investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. iNews Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has a message for anyone planning a holiday trip to Mexico. Don't go. From the Fronteras desk in Aramosio, KJZZ's Kendall Blust reports. The CDC has issued a red level four advisory stating that travelers should avoid all travel to Mexico. Ignoring the warning could increase chances of contracting and spreading the coronavirus, the advisory says, and people who become infected with COVID-19 while traveling could be required to isolate or prevented from returning to the United States as scheduled. Those who must travel should be tested prior to, during, and after the trip and carefully follow safety protocols, including mask wearing, social distancing, and hand washing. There have been more than one million confirmed coronavirus cases and nearly 103,000 deaths in Mexico. I'm Kendall Blust in Hermosillo. The end of the year starting around Thanksgiving is typically the busiest time of year for grocery retailers. Cap Radio's Sarah Mises Tan has more on how workers are faring during this time. Grocery industry spokespeople say this holiday season could be the busiest retail season they've had in years. Jacques Laval, president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in Sacramento, says grocery store workers are a high-risk group. This is kind of a sobering figure. Statistically, our members are 10 times as likely to contract COVID or 10 times as likely to succumb to COVID uh, statistically on a per capita basis. He says overall, out of his union's 35,000 members, 400 have contracted the virus and two have died as a result of COVID. But he has seen the number of employees contracting the virus pick up in the last few weeks. In Sacramento, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan. There's been a series of promising announcements from COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers. One company, Pfizer, has already requested emergency use authorization. And if granted, vaccines could roll out as early as December 12th. But how will vaccines get to San Diego and who will be the first to receive them? KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento spoke to the architects of San Diego County's vaccine rollout plan. That's Health and Human Services Agency Director Nick Maschione and Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten. Here's that interview done over Zoom. Thank you to both of you for making time for this. I want to begin with how the vaccine will get to San Diego. You know, it looks like the Pfizer vaccine could be here first and then it must be stored at, you know, minus 70 degrees Celsius. So how will it get here and and where would it be offloaded in San Diego? Yes, there has there's a clear requirement on the temperature, on the storage uh, for the vaccine, Uh, the way it's even shipped. Uh, it's coming in a special kind of uh, cooling storage um, to what we have prepared here at the county to our providers who have this type of specialized freezing. And then, you know, happy to talk more. 
what we have done proactively to buy additional of these specialized uh, cooling units, freezing units for the vaccine as we think about the distribution across with our healthcare providers throughout San Diego. Providers submitting their application uh, and identifying what allocations they want, they have to provide evidence that they have the capability to store the vaccines appropriately. And particularly with the Pfizer, it is the uh, sub-cooling or sub-freezing. So they have to have the uh, capacity to manage and store the vaccines appropriately. Uh, and if they don't, then they can't get at least that particular vaccine. And do you know how many um, doses are you yourself seeking at first? And where are you going to be storing those? We have to submit a plan. There are requirements, there are kind of rigorous requirements that are being put together right now. We don't have that yet completed. Um, that'll be submitted up to CDPH. And that's exactly what they're looking for as um, what your provider community is. And we're going to, before to answer that question, Taryn, we have to get into the priority setting. There is real clear guidance of who gets the vaccine, and that would determine also at what point do we administer it. So that'll be clear in a second. I will say, um, yes, uh, not only are we looking to store the vaccine ourselves, and typically they will be in our public health centers because we are in communities where we need to give the vaccine. Can you just clarify where the county will be storing it? If that's, if that's, confirmed, ready to go as soon as potentially December 12th? It is stored. We have a, a vaccine warehouse that, uh, where we uh, store all of our other vaccines. Uh, we might be, or will be working with partners uh, early on until we get our freezers. Uh, but once we get our freezers, then it will be in our uh, vaccine warehouse location. But we're I'm not going to tell you where that is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's, not, it, it's not secretive, but it, it is a secured environment with all the requirements that we have yeah. to have for a vaccine. I know a CDC advisory group recently held a meeting on the priority groups that would receive it. It looks like healthcare mm -hmm. workers and other essential employees first in line, plus residents in long-term care facilities and older adults with medical conditions. So how will the county identify where they are and then also notify those particular individuals? So doctors and nurses, and then first responders, and then also uh, nursing home workers. That's phase 1A. Uh, 1B is actually uh, individuals that have at least two or more underlying medical conditions. And as I stated before, that's pretty much, that's a, over half, it's almost probably two thirds, if not more, uh, over 75% with 1A and 1B of the entire San Diego population. So we will have to determine what within that group, what's going to be prioritized. Again, individuals uh, with two or more underlying medical conditions and CDC recognizes this too. So we are continuously asking the state and CDC for more granular uh, guidance so that everyone is doing the same thing. That was KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento speaking with Health and Human Services Agency Director Nick Maschione and Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten. Coming up on the podcast, some long-planned water projects in the Colorado River Basin have hit big roadblocks this year. At all the other times where we thought this it might go away, it never did. The environmentalists who oppose the dams and pipelines are celebrating cautiously. That story is next, just after the break. 
KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. 2020 has been a tough year for some of the Colorado River Basin's most controversial water projects. Proposals to divert water in New Mexico, Nevada, and Utah have run up against significant legal, financial, and political roadblocks. Now, it's still unclear whether they are really gone or just waiting in the wings. KUNC's Luke Runyon reports. Laura Paskus is an environmental journalist in New Mexico. For years, she's been following the twists and turns of a long-proposed project in the state's southwest corner called the Gila River Diversion. And so the most recent plan was to build this diversion in the Cliff Gila Valley and provide water to irrigators. Like farmers and ranchers. It was initially proposed in 2004, and it came with a commitment of federal funds to cover some of the cost. Pascas says that kept the effort alive for more than a decade. But there was never like a really like solid plan of, of how it would be built, how it would be paid for. And that's why the New Mexico Interstate Stream Commission finally called it quits in June after $17 million had been spent on engineering plans and consultants over the years. It was a big surprise. That's Allison Civic. She directs the Gila Conservation Coalition, one of the environmental groups opposed to the project. Because at all the other times where we thought this, it might go away, it never did. She says the total cost of the diversion project would have made the water it eventually provided unaffordable to those who wanted it. It was time. They're just, you couldn't keep spending more money on on this, especially when the economics, the financials just didn't pencil out. A similar drama played out in Nevada earlier this year. For decades, water providers in Las Vegas have been pursuing a plan to pump groundwater from northern Nevada and pipe it 300 miles to the fast-growing metro area in the Mojave Desert. 15, 20 years ago, you were hearing folks down in Vegas scream bloody murder that if we don't get this water, you know, the world's going to explode. Kyle Rorink runs the Great Basin Water Network, the group formed specifically to oppose the so-called Las Vegas pipeline. Children are going to be starving and, you know, dying of dehydration. And, you know, those were just scare tactics. The Southern Nevada Water Authority, the agency pushing for the pipeline, hit legal hurdles this past spring. Just as the coronavirus pandemic was taking hold, a judge denied some water rights associated with it. A month later, the authority chose not to appeal and tabled the pipeline altogether. That was almost a de facto uh, type of white flag surrender. Instead, Roaring says, the Water Authority recommitted to aggressive conservation programs to keep water use in check while continuing to add new customers. That's something environmental advocates are hoping to replicate in southern Utah with the Lake Powell Pipeline. Zach Frankel is with the Utah Rivers Council. The state of Utah is proposing to divert Colorado River water down the Lake Powell Pipeline simply to use more of its water rights out of the Colorado River. 
but political pressure from other users on the river is slowing it down. In September, every other state that relies on the river besides Utah teamed up to say the project has too many unresolved issues to move forward. We were pleasantly surprised to see six states come together to oppose the advancement of the Lake Powell pipeline is a very strong letter because it openly threatens litigation. But just because one iteration of a project is sidelined doesn't mean it's gone forever. In New Mexico, journalist Laura Pascas says the water rights that are foundational to the project there are still held by the state and could be used to justify another diversion down the line. And climate change looms large over all of them. I think we're at least getting the idea now that these old style projects are just not going to work for so many reasons. She says the lesson here is that many of these proposals rely on 20th century ideas about our relationship to water in the arid West and that plans will have to change as the region warms. That was KUNC's Luke Runyon. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced in partnership with KUNC in northern Colorado, with support from the Walton Family Foundation. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.